Welcome to episode six of The Riser. I'm Greg Strong, the Canadian Press, here with Ted Wyman of Post Media, and we'll soon be joined by sports broadcaster and voice talent, James Sabolski. James has worked in radio and television for both TSN and Sportsnet. He's a co-host of the Clearing the Crease podcast, and he's the voice of EA Sports NHL 24. Before we get to James, let's get an update from Ted on the weather and the vibe at his southern locale. Are you still in Mexico, Teddy? Still in Mexico, baby. Yeah, uh, having a wonderful time. I'm now in a town called San Pancho, which is in the Nayarit province, a bit north of Puerto Vallarta. Absolutely beautiful. Just a groovy, fun little town. Great surfing waves. I don't do any surfing, but it's fun to watch. Uh, beach, just really, really fun place. Great food. Um, actually, I'm not supposed to tell people because it's so good. But anyway, I just told you guys and everybody else that listens to us. So there we go. Uh, bad start for me on this show, but yeah, having a great time. And I'm telling you, Greg, my phone's been blowing up today with sports news. So uh, lots to talk about on this one. Oh, plenty of sports news. A, a sweet six degrees with sunshine today in Newmarket. I know you're wondering. Let's uh, let's move on to our guest, James Sabolski. You know, there are a handful of uh, sports media types that could really be called like a king of all media kind of vibe. Done a little bit of everything, radio, television, pods. Now he's doing video game work. Uh, it's our pleasure to welcome James to the riser. James, how are you? Some might just call it a media whore, right? <laughs> <laughs> or survivor or, or media survivor. Yeah. Survivor. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, man, strong man. It's good to see you again. It, it has been a minute and uh, we go back, uh, what, north of 20 years or so in terms of uh, you know, catching up, playing planes, trains, and automobiles, uh, running the media gauntlets over the years. You know, it's funny. We both lived in Toronto for years, and yet the only time we would ever actually catch up was when we had to travel, right? Ted, you know the drill, right? It's like you only you only catch up with media peeps when you're on the road, right? Then everybody kind of goes back to their their respective nests and their tribes and their clans and their their groups, and you know, we all do our nesting, and then it's like we get on the road and it's like, all right, let's go find a pub till three a.m. somewhere, right? That's how you get to know everybody. That's the great the, part about yes, it. Yes, that's the bo- that's the bonding after work, right? And that was I, I think that was one of those things that kind of kept us sane. You know, like for me, I never I never went on a plane until I was twenty three. Like whenever we went on family trips as a kid, you know, we drove, right? I, I mean, you know, my dad was an honest cop, and so we, you know, we were modest middle class living, and you know, flight was for a family of three, you know five was expensive, so we'd we'd drive to Florida every year, and so like I'm 23, I get to cover a Senators playoff game in '98. That's the first time I get on a plane, and then you know, I spent the better part of the next 12 years you know, living out of a suitcase, traveling everywhere, uh, you know, and, and Greg, you, you know, we are a big part of those adventures as well, but it's just funny how life works sometimes. For sure. Well, I love, I love talking about the, uh, the old days and let's start there, James, <laughs> yeah. a young reporter at the score back in the day of memory serves. Right. Yeah. Um, and of course, some other outlets in your formative years in the business. And then you eventually worked your way into the big chair at TSN and at Sportsnet. I'm, I'm curious what your goal was back in the day when you were first, laying that foundation? Great question. Um, You know, for me, I I knew I wanted to get into sports. I knew I wanted to get into sports media. I think I had always dreamed of wanting to be, uh, you know, a play-by-play guy for, you know, the NFL, for Hockey Night in Canada, um, to do the NBA. I just, I I loved that idea. And 
to have that potential and that opportunity. I, I remember seeing the movie Singles. I think I was about 17 at the time in the early 90s and, you know, watching the movie Singles. And I looked at the at Seattle and I'm going, you know, they got an NFL team. They got an MLB team. They got an NBA team. Doesn't look like it really snows there all that much. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm like, you know, I've had a lot of hockey growing up in my lifetime. I could do, I, I, I I'll survive without an NHL team, but you know, give me my NFL, my NBA and my MLB. I'm like, that's where I want to be. <laughs> so I, I kind of started to romanticize the idea of the West coast. And um, I remember a couple of years later, you know, piecing together, I think watching the Olympics in Lillehammer in 94 and seeing, you know, there was like a shot, you know, broadcasting from Vancouver and they're profiling a local athlete, but like, you know, here we are in the middle of February and it's like this beautiful sunny day and it's all green grass and there's not a stitch of snow. And I'm thinking to myself, well, <laughs> that seems like my appetite for winter. And so, you know, so now I'm, I'm really kind of feeling the vibe for, for the West coast, but you know, to want to get into sports. And um, I, I think there was no, I think I had visions of wanting to get to the U S um, you know, maybe getting onto TSN at that time uh, because that was really the only national sports network, you know, when I'm younger and obviously the opportunities presented itself and, and, you know, starting in Ottawa and radio and, you know, community television, and then the score presented itself with an opportunity. And um, that was really exciting because I was living it and breathing it and traveling. And, um, you know, I, I think I felt like I really wanted to get, you know, on the, on a desk and do the highlights as an anchor. And I have to say, you know, this is why I have so much respect for, for Darren Drager, uh, or sorry, uh, or sorry. I, I love drags too, but uh, Darren Detition, uh, and, and Dutchie in the, in the sense that, you know, Dutch has been on sports center pre previously sports desk for, for 30 plus years. Right. And, and he's excited and kicking ass every night. And there's an energy that he brings that very few, if any, can replicate. And, you know, I thought it was a dream come true to finally get it on you know, the bright lights. And here we go. It's sports center. One of the first times I'm hosting and, you know, it just, it gets monotonous, you know, and you're just kind of, you know, like there's a little bit of, you know, when the games are all going on, you're kind of watching stuff, but it does get a little tedious when you're just kind of confined to, it's like being grounded, right? Like you're kind of shackled in where, you know, as a reporter for years, I loved being on the scene. There's an energy you're in the arena. Yes. I mean, you know, covering a team on the beat sometimes, you know, that gets a little groundhog day at times, but, um, but there's an energy, you know, I mean, I think you love sports to be part of that energy. And um, I, I kind of found like the dirty little secret. I don't know if I've admitted this to anybody before, but I kind of felt like sitting anchoring highlights. It just, you know, you, sometimes you really have to motivate yourself and look, I mean, you're not saving lives. I mean, I'm not reinventing the wheel as, as a, from a highlight standpoint, and you've got to bring that energy, but that's why I have so much appreciation for Dutch because, you know, I, I think I always looked at wanting to do something what's next, right. I wanted to do live events. I wanted to do play by play. And it was always such a, you know, there was only so many jobs in Canada to do that. And so, um, it, it was kind of an unconventional way how I became a play guy, a play by play guy in the NHL. In a, in a video game, which, you know, certainly worked quite well with my hobbies growing up as a kid, but uh, sitting down and, and doing those anchor highlights, I just kind of felt I, it didn't take very long to go, okay, this is it. 
You know, I, I don't know. Like, not that I was waiting for a studio audience, hey, you know, or like our city hall, the crowd's all fist pump. And woo, woo, woo. Um, That's what I was doing while I was watching. This. Yeah, but it's kind of like that thing, Stan. You're the one guy. And, yeah. you know, but it's that moment where you kind of feel like how sausage is made. Man, that's an, an amazing start. And I got to tell you, you touched on it a little bit. Like, you, you wanted to be a play-by-play guy growing up. It was something you were interested in. And now you're doing it, but you're doing it in this complete different fashion and in, in video game form. So can you tell us how you got into that and what that experience has been like? Yeah, it, It's been a dream come true. It's been so much fun. Um, and, you know, there's some long days as well. But about it, this goes back about six years ago now where – one of my close friends in the industry and pre- previous to that, a guy named Davis Sanchez, who is now uh, an analyst for the NFL and CFL on TSN. And we used to do a podcast together for the Canadian Football League. And we were BSing and kibitzing all the time. And suddenly one day we were talking and he just said, uh, oh, I was talking to my buddy who was a producer with EA. And he was telling me about how, you know, his buddy who was a a producer uh, with the NHL video game with EA Sports, Electronic Arts, uh, they were auditioning um, for a new broadcast crew. And, you know, he had mentioned some of the names and I was kind of familiar. I was like, hey, listen, uh, you know, do you think you could ask your buddy if I could audition? And he said, yeah, let me look into it. And so a couple of days later, I got an email from the legal department from Electronic Arts and just saying, hey, your name's come up. We'd like to schedule an audition. And and so uh, it was all in the up and up. And I went in one day and, and, you know, kind of laid down some some voice tracks and, you know, kind of just tried to be my goofy self, but also try to bring that energy. Uh, as a, as a longtime wrestling fan, I, uh, you know, probably watched way too much wrestling and definitely influenced my broadcast style. So I went in and kind of gave it my all and walked out and was like, I don't know what happened, but I had fun doing it. And, you know, life goes on about a month later, they, uh, they followed up with, Hey, listen, we've shortlisted the, you know, the audition selection process. You've made the shortlist. We should have a decision in another week or so. Great. Still at the table, right? Still in there, and uh, a month goes by and nothing. And I just kind of thought, you know, hey, it was if nothing else, it was cool that I gave it a shot. And so a month goes by, and they get another email saying, hey, look, we'd like to schedule a chemistry test with you and another voice talent. And so I, you know, I'm like, okay, and it's Ray Ferraro that I wind up meeting up with at the studio. And so Ray and I had worked together briefly at TSN, and and so. And so I knew it was serious because I knew they liked Ray because Ray's amazing. Right. And so, uh, so we did a little something and I think they liked it and they said, okay, we'll be in touch and crickets for another month. And then finally, you know, they're like, look, we need uh, one more test if you can come in. And now it's like, Oh boy. Okay. And uh, finally, like this whole process has now gone on like three months and they, you know, they, I think they put it out there and were kind of honest in the sense that, look, you're kind of an unconventional play-by-play guy. You're kind of an unknown from an American commodity standpoint, right? I mean, it was, you're talking about Jim Hewson, you're talking about Doc Emmerich, you're talking about Gary Thorne, like you're talking about legends and then who the fuck is James Sabalski, right? So, um, I went in and I think they liked what they heard that third time. And they said, we'll let you know in a week and true to their word. <laughs> they kept me waiting the whole week because man, every email, every text, every phone call, is it, is it, is it? Uh, that was one time I really, really wanted it. And uh, when I finally got the, uh, I finally got the call. Um, 
you know, I've been fortunate to do a lot of really cool things and see a lot of uh, cool moments and experiences, but that was one of, uh, one of the coolest moments to be offered the position of being the voice of, um, you know, a video game that I grew up playing and has got pretty good legacy with over 30 years, uh, now in the market. So pretty proud of this being, you know, year five with NHL 24. James, let's rewind if we could to 2006 yep. and the Turin Winter Olympics. Yeah. In Italy, fond memories. You and me, buddy. You and me. I remember there was a little workspace slash bar that sold $2 <laughs> Heinekens, but it was also the James Sobolski, you know, sit down and craft that day's piece area. <laughs> Tell me, I'm, I'm really intrigued. Yep. A, I want to hear about your, your highlight moment from those games, but I'm also wondering how you navigated coverage of the Turin Olympics, when you, if memory serves, you did not have venue access accreditation. So we had actually, uh, good, good memory. We had actually improved our accreditation status to go from Athens in 2004 as being completely unaccredited. So we actually earned a reputation, our nickname amongst the Canadian Olympic Committee and uh, some uh, Canadian athletes. Uh, we were the uh, we were the sidewalk boys, uh, myself and my uh, my camera colleague uh, was Michael Vashlevsky, the voice of Europe, uh, as he was known as a uh, big Polish guy who uh, just a, a real character. So Michael and I would travel around. And so in turn, we had we were non uh, we were non rights holders, so we couldn't have a camera. We couldn't have cameras in there. So we always had to be uh, we always had to get our access or video access off site, which, you know, I think. COC members, Canadian Olympic Committee, uh, you know, public relations, communications members, they understood the rules. And so we weren't the only ones. So they would typically bring an athlete who we were looking to speak with over to us eventually. But it was usually four or five hours after their their big moment. Right. So they had basically talked to everybody else. And once they're done, they'd find a vacant parking lot at two o'clock in the morning and come talk to us. So um, that was neat. It was uh, it was funny because the. The media village in Turin, it almost felt, not that I've been to rehab, but it kind of felt like a rehab facility. Like the rooms were small, right? The beds were just like a little single bed. Like there wasn't, you know, you weren't having a party at your place, right? It uh, So we kind of hung out in this like cafeteria downstairs with the, you know, the Heinekens and got to know the bartender pretty well. And he'd pour, you know, three fingers of Jack Daniels at two o'clock in the morning when we'd finish work. And so that was, that was always fun. But, you know, I look back on that and, you know, so much was about the team Canada flop in men's hockey. Right. And, you know, the women's hockey team did well, you know, curling had a pretty good run. Um, but obviously speed skaters had a good run. Uh, Chandra Crawford, I, I remember her energy when she won gold in cross-country skiing. That was that was a really nice moment. I just thought, I thought she screamed star, just how well-spoken she was. Um, but the moment for me was pretty early in the games. And it was Jennifer Heil going for gold in, in freestyle. And, you know, to be kind of there in a venue watching that. And I, I was there in Athens, but it was different. I, I hardly saw any events because we weren't accredited. So we couldn't really get into anything, but here we had the access to watch and um, to watch, you know, it was that moment where she was going last. The defending champion had set 
the bar. Like basically Jen Heil needed a perfect score to win gold. And she did it. She nailed it. Going last, like that sort of pressure in the Olympics where you have to nail it. And she hit it. And when the score went up, you know, I remember standing next to Cam Cole and Mark Spector, two veteran, you know, Canadian media guys as well. And, you know, I think the three of us, you know, you're kind of taught, you know, as a, as a reporter or as a, as a working member of the media, there's no cheering in the press box. But that was one of those moments that I just had such an intense feeling of pride as and proud to be a Canadian as here was this woman halfway around the world and just had all the pressure on her for everything that she had worked for and owned it. You know, you talk about owning the podium, like she crushed it. And I was so proud for Jen Heil. I was so proud in the moment to be a Canadian, um, to watch somebody, to watch a Canadian win a gold medal like that um, live, it, being there right at the base of the mountain at the time. That to me was, you know, I, you know, we've been to a lot of arenas to see a lot of cool things and experience a lot of moments and buzzer beaters and moments that kind of come and go, whether it's Lynn's sanity when he was at his peak and hits a buzzer beater in Toronto or, you know, watching the Stanley cup win, uh, just seeing various moments and overtime winners and playoffs and going to AFC championships and world series and NBA finals. But that moment right there for a long time. And I I'd still put that up there is, you know, probably my favorite moment in that feeling, um, you know, Daniel Alfredson's overtime goal in game six of the Eastern final that put Ottawa into the Stanley cup final in 07. Like that's pretty awesome too. But um, yeah, that Jen Heil moment, man, that was so cool. So I've been sitting muted for a while because there's a party going on next door, which to me is Mexico. <laughs> so it should be happening. <laughs> but just let it breathe. Just let it breathe here. Right. <laughs> I just want to go join them actually, but oh, hey, yeah. let's, uh, let's keep on with this. I did want to ask you, um, just a thought on the current state of, of sports. And one of the things that's obviously really hot is the NHL and the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, what a season they're having. And they pick up Elias Lindholm. And like, do you think they really have that, uh, the pieces to have a legitimate shot at the Stanley Cup? I think depth is still a question, but you have a goalie who is probably in consideration for the Besner right now. And you know, as they, as they say, show me a good coach. I'll show you a good goalie. Right. And, and Thatcher Demko is healthy and he's been fantastic, but he's also had a really capable backup in Casey DeSmith, who's spelled, you know, who allows the luxury of Demko getting those rests, right. Like getting those breaks and those opportunities. And, you know, you look up front, there's lots of scoring power, right? I mean, Brock Besser's bounced back in a huge way. JT Miller has been nothing but clutch. Um, you look at the numbers he's put up the minute he got to Vancouver in the last five years now. Elias Patterson has, has finally emerged as the player that everybody in this market hoped he could be. Um, and so you have these horses that, look, I think to win in this league, your best players need to be exactly that, right? And... Vancouver's got that all season long. You know, Pedersen, Miller, Besser, Hughes has been insane. He might win the Norris Trophy this year. And then you have, you know, a legitimate number one top flight elite goaltender in Thatcher Demko. So I, I love what they got. Uh, I love the Elias Lindholm move. I think it's, you know, it's a good fit for Calgary too, right? I think they've got some decent assets to work with here to move forward. But 
I think they got a chance to really take a shot at it. I'd like to see them, you know, just add a little more depth on the blue line um, because, you know, it's hard to win in this league, right? Like, you, you know, to go another four rounds, like guys are going to get hurt. So I think if you can find a little more depth that you can add, especially on that back end, I'd feel a lot better um, because you, you look who's also in the mix right now. All the devils, you know, right? Like Vegas is still there. Florida's still really good. You know, Boston's right back up at the top again, right? Tampa, I'm still not ready to write off the lightning. Um, but I, I think Vancouver's built right now with what Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin have done in the last year and a half. They've made some bold moves and they've paid off. James, I want to squeeze in one last quick one. And it's yeah. keeping one's composure in live situations. And I know <laughs> this is a challenge, of course, for anyone who's done a live hit from the crowd or yeah. um, done a halftime interview that perhaps didn't go the way you wanted. I wanted to ask you about two situations real quick. Okay. One was the 09 World Juniors. When yeah. You're doing a live hit. You probably remember. And a guy, I think he's three or four pints deep at a minimum, put his arm around you red face paint and you're still on YouTube. The live head. It's on YouTube. <laughs> and then there's another one. If I could quickly get your thoughts on this one, uh, I believe it was former blue bombers coach, Doug Barry, if memory serves, who yeah. gave you a bunch of one word answers at a halftime interview. Do you remember those two incidents and yeah. <laughs> how did you keep your composure? Um, it was, it was tough. Uh, both of them. I, I mean, I still remember them vividly. It's funny because the first one, I look back and I watch that video now and I think, man, I should have just said something because it would have been way more natural to this. Hey, how's it going? All right. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, the producers were seething that this guy had done this and stood next to me. And, and he was quiet. He just kind of, you know, leaned next to me. And the producers were so mad that the vice president, they, they went out and they hired an off-duty police officer to basically be my security for the rest of the tournament. So, you know, they wanted me live in the crowd. Well, how do you ask everybody in the crowd to behave, right? Like, everybody be quiet while I talk. No, you're in a live sporting event. You wouldn't do that at a concert. So, anyway, they hired the biggest cop uh, you could find. He was about, honestly, 6'4", probably a good 260, nicest guy. But he terrified everybody, so nobody wanted to go near me after that. Uh, so that's what I really got to take away from that. And then the Doug Berry one, man, I just thought Doug came across as such a dick. Um, he, he I, To me, I just thought he looked bad. And I remember Michael Landsberg really played it up the next day, I think, and off the record. And... Um, yeah, it was just unprofessional. And I, I you know, I, I, we never talked about it afterwards, but I just remember, you know, I don't, I don't wish ill on too many people, but I remember when Doug Barry got fired later that year, it was like, okay, <laughs> karma, you reap what you sow. Um, and yeah, it was just one of those things that it's like moving on. Okay. You got to give me something. You got to give me something. And that's it. Actually, it's funny. The one that really stands out, I don't know if there's any video of it that exists, but I was doing a live hit and it was during the playoffs one year for the Canucks. And I was, I was a Canucks reporter at the time is early two thousands. And I remember teasing Brian Burke because the Canucks had won an overtime the previous game. I think it was against Minnesota. They win an overtime and they, they caught Dave Nonis and Brian Burke trying to high five in the, uh, 
in the in the crowd and so they're like uh, but they miss like it's really awkward and so the next day he's kind of walking by and brian always looked like he had the game face he had his chewing tobacco and you know he got off his motorcycle and i said uh, nice game of patty cake there last night up in the press box and he kind of kind of you know scowl but then kind of kind of smirks like oh, okay yeah you got me and anyway so like to the next day next day i'm doing a live hit in the bowels of uh rogers arena which was then gm place and I'm, I'm doing this live hit probably like two hours before puck drop just outside the wild dressing room. Well, I don't know this, but all of a sudden while I'm talking, blah, 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 somebody hammers me from behind while I'm live on the air. And so like, I'm totally flustered. Like I go flying and I'm like, who the, you know, would have done that. And I turn around and I, you know, I see at the corner of my eye, it's Brian Burke. And, 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 and so I'm like trying to compose myself and now he's behind the camera and, and he, but he keeps walking and I'm like, as you can see, Canucks president and general manager, Brian Burke has his game face on and, and Brian kind of, I can see at the corner of my eye, he's like, Oh, I didn't realize you were live. Right. So a day later we're in Minnesota as the series shifts and he was just, I see him in the lobby bar of the hotel and he's like, did I fuck up your shot? <laughs> that made the highlight of the week uh, so there you go <laughs> small victories brian so uh that yeah, worked out i got a lot of time for brian james uh... um oh man i gotta say i gotta say greg just sort to interject here but um we have a, se- a section in our show at the end we call the all-timers some great all-time stories that we've experienced i think you shared some real all-timers with us here today and boy do we ever appreciate it thanks so much for joining us thanks ted thanks strong man let's do it again thanks, sometime ted. Okay, buddy. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Well, great to have James on. Loved his old stories. Fantastic stuff there. And uh, it's time to transition, Ted, to hot topics. And this week, I thought we'd start start with curling. And uh, the national men's field is quickly being filled out. Of course, we have Mike McEwen, who wins out of Saskatchewan. He represented Ontario at last year's Briar, and as you know, was a longtime Manitoba skip. I'm curious what your thoughts are in this wildcard free agent era of the last few seasons. Are the days when we connect with curlers, Ted, with their provinces, officially over? Oh, yeah. Long gone. I mean, Brad Jacobs is competing for Manitoba this week. Mike McEwen's competing for Saskatchewan. I mean, that's that's not important anymore. It's... Uh, it's really about the team brand more than anything. And Curling Canada has done a pretty good job, I think, of building that transition with their, what you might call wild cards, you know, the CTRS spots and allowing more teams with those team brands to come in. And then the names, which of course was something you told me about a couple of weeks ago on the show that they were going to switch it to say Manitoba Jones and Manitoba Laws and whatnot. I think that's another really good way of making that happen because there's team brand name involved in all of it. And I think that's just going to get more and more, but it's a nice balance too, when you do it that way, because you are keeping a little bit of provincial um, provincial representation in there. The McEwen thing's interesting because honestly, he, he was just looking for a place to play. Like you, as you know, Mike is one of the great guys to talk to in the sport of curling and, and a very intelligent guy and a great curler. And he's just going where the spot is to play, right? And he knew he had to win that province because he probably wasn't going to get a wild card, uh, not with Kevin Cooey and Reed Carruthers ahead of him. He might have had a chance because those guys could win their provinces, but he sure didn't want to go into that situ- that situation. And uh, it's, so it's a big one for him. 
And I think as Mike McEwen has done for the last 15, 20 years in this sport, he's always going to be there as a guy that might just be that contender at the briar. You never know when he's going to break through. He almost did it at the Olympic trials in 2017. Didn't quite pull it off, but he's a guy that's been banging on the door for a long, long time. I know the field, the 18 team field is not yet complete, but who are you putting your money on for uh, early March in Regina? Well, it's, you know, you, you accused me of being a front runner last week when we talked about Rachel Holman and, you know, it's hard to argue with Brendan Botcher, uh, right now because obviously it should be Gushu. i mean who, who you'd be crazy not to pick him i know i'm not even saying his name quite right greg you'll get me uh corrected on that one but Gushu, 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 Gushu. okay Gushu. I, i'll never get used to that i'm yeah, sorry it's just not gonna happen it's always Gushu. been Gushu to me so anyway i'll try my best uh, i don't usually have to say stuff i usually just have to write it so <laughs> but uh anyway yeah i think brendan botcher's just had a great team i love the team he put together there with mark kennedy and Brett Gallant and uh, Ben Hebert. I mean, these are guys that are just the best at their positions in every situation. And you just know you're going to end up with a fantastic curling team in the end there. And they were built to take on Guju and they were built to take on the world. And they had a bit of a slow start last season, but I don't think they're going to be held back this year. I expect to see them right there. If they don't win the Briar, I think they'll be in the final. I'm going with Mikey. I went with Kristen McCarville for the Scotties. I'm going you're with Mike a You're a long shot guy, hey? Mike McEwen. It's going to be the year of uh, some unexpected winners, I think you could say. I'm just I'm calling it. We can play this back in a month. We'll see. <laughs> when you go to the horse races, you you bet on the horse name soon to be glue? or uh, what's the... <laughs> It's no fun picking the favorites all the time. Come on, <laughs> let's spice it up. Anyway, we'll see what happens. That field Good will be rounded out, I guess, this week. Uh, this weekend coming up here, we got the last two, the big ones, right? Manitoba, Alberta, memory series. And big ones. So, yeah, I mean, and Cooey, obviously, if Cooey doesn't win Alberta, he's going to get the last wildcard spot. And Reed Crothers is next in line for that, but he's obviously the favorite to win Manitoba as well. I mean, that wildcard spot could end up going to Aaron Sluchinski out of Alberta, conceivably. So it's going to be really interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, man, uh, let's just switch up a bit here. Uh, the Blue Jays. So they finally get somebody. It's Justin Turner. They bring him in. A signing to get a bat going on that uh, roster. We talked about it how many times? Good pitching, good defense. They're going to come back with that, but they needed more bat. Is that going to be enough? You're the Blue Jays guy. What's your thought? Not quite enough. Uh, certainly a much-needed acquisition, no doubt about it. One-year deal, I believe $13, $13.5 million. Uh, gives them that power bat, that designated hitter. Someone they can slot in at uh, you know fourth or fifth in the batting order, and you, they really needed a guy. So and there was you know it's in the team's favor right now. There are a lot of free agents kind of in that zone where you know 25, 30 homer guys. It's kind of a matter of more of a, a buyer's market I'd say right now. And and the Jays I think did well to pick up Turner. I still think they need one more move. Uh, that being said, I think they are also would be quite content to go into spring training, which starts in just over a week. And the preseason sched, which is about three weeks from now, if memory serves, uh, with the lineup they have, they've got the pitching. And as you say, that's that's the big thing. If, if their rotation can stay healthy and deliver the way it did last year, I think they'll be in great shape. Pretty solid bullpen. And, you know, I think they've tinkered with their offensive setup. I think 
Don Mattingly will be more of an offensive presence in a, you know, not, not the hitting coach per se, but coordinating the offense and really trying to get these guys who underperformed a bit last year, looking at Dalton Varsho, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, a few others didn't quite post the numbers they were expecting and kind of get that entire offense humming again and get to the point where they're a 95-win team and can maybe threaten for the American League East title because they certainly don't want to be in the wild card mix again. It has not worked out well for the Blue Jays, swept in three of the last four wild card rounds. So we shall see. The boys will be back playing in uh, in a couple weeks here. So. Yeah, I mean, if you get those Vladdy like numbers from the year before, like he was uh, in the MVP conversation, I mean, if you get those numbers, that's a huge difference in that batting lineup. So that might be the biggest key. More than adding, it's getting better performances out of the guys that were already there. For sure, yeah. It was 2021, actually. He was second in the MVP voting behind uh, Shohei Otani. And, yeah, what, 48 homers and 110 ribbies, something like that. I mean, a tough ask to duplicate that career season. But I think more is expected. And Vladdy be one of those guys who needs to step it up here. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll see what happens with the Jays. We've, got, of course, got uh, this long Super Bowl countdown, Ted. I mean, we can talk about Taylor Swift. We can talk about Travis Kelsey. We can talk about Patrick Mahomes. Here's my question. Do we really need two full weeks between games when it comes to the Super Bowl? I'm I'm tired of it already. Well, is it about hype or is it about letting the teams be rested up so that they can be at their very best? I mean, if it's the door number two, then that's obviously a good reason to do it. I do feel like, certainly, I cover the Grey Cup every year in the CFL, and I do feel like, um, that league is doing its best right now to extend it, right? Because they had their they had their playoffs on the Saturday and then they had the Great Cup on the Sunday. So they added an extra day, a little bit more time to travel, a little bit more time to rest, a little more time for things like media days and whatnot. <clears throat> Believe me, those are a big deal. And then and the, all of those are the same in the Super Bowl except to a 100 times degree, right? And with all the hype that goes on, I think it's, I think it's an okay thing. I mean, I, I, I didn't really spend too much time thinking about the hype last week. It's a rest week. Now it's building up again. And and it's going to be, hey, man, come on. This is a great matchup. Like, this is something, this could be one of those Super Bowls for the ages. Hopefully it's not a dud. I, I thought last year was a great year, too, until right at the very end. And the, the ending of the game, I thought, was a bit of a dud. But it was really good up until then. And I just hope that that is what we get. As a fan of the NFL, that's what I cheer for more than anything, is just a really great football game my friend is behind me here she's a big Chiefs fan she disagrees with me entirely she wants a 50 50 to nothing game so uh, we're going for it's gonna be good <laughs> yeah well I mean it's what a one and a half point spread when I last looked uh Niners I think the slight favorite but uh yeah I mean the Chiefs how do you bet against the Chiefs I what I'm intrigued about I love I love some of the other stuff I love the prop bets I love that football fans lose their mind because Travis or uh Taylor Swift is shown 27 times during the games. <laughs> I really enjoy that. What I'm really intrigued about more than anything is what kind of number when it comes to ratings this game generates. And I think obviously it's a great matchup. It's in Vegas. It's going to be through the roof. The NFL arguably has never been more popular. But this year with the Swift factor, you're going to have you always have non-football fans watching Super Bowl. I think that is going to go up exponentially this year given how many non-football fans are going to be interested 
just for Taylor Swift alone, never mind all the teenage girls who'll be tuning in. Yeah. Wouldn't normally, perhaps. So it's going to be fascinating to me to see what the ratings for this Super Bowl end up as. I will uh, go out on a limb and predict best of all time because we know how much that Taylor Swift factor has increased it. I just want to check because I'm pretty out of the loop here in Mexico. She is confirmed that she's going to be at the game? I don't know if it's 100% confirmed. I thought there was a there conflict. Been several maybe. stories over the last few days on how she can do it. I think she has to perform in Tokyo on the Saturday. So it's a matter of, uh, yeah. Uh, That's a late not easy. And, and yeah, it's not easy. But I'm sure if anyone can do it, Taylor Swift can. Yeah, I'm so guessing we'll she'll have a better situation than our last flight through Tokyo where we had to sit for 12 <laughs> hours in the airport. And well, thank God we found beer. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it was a closed uh it was a closed uh, terminal as well there was literally nothing in it you couldn't get any food but we did find a place that had beer so it saved our lives uh greg nhl getting interesting coming down to the you know the nitty-gritty here late in the season uh the the winnipeg jets make a big trade they get sean manahan the vancouver canucks make a big trade they get elias lindholm these are very good players you know top line second line centers um, going to improve their top six. Winnipeg's in, really excited about having Monaghan, um, and they're not. They haven't. They didn't play great going into the break, so I think this is really going to be a nice boost for them. But as James said, the Canucks are playing great hockey, and they're adding to a guy as well. And I mean, as we speak now, this game is going to happen tonight, and the, uh, on the night that we're uh, recording. But the Edmonton Oilers going for an all-time record tie on all-time record for wins in a row. I have they. They have never lost since the riser started i think maybe we're the key aren't we greg i i'll tell you one thing it feels like groundhog day whenever we talk about the nhl here we're talking about the canucks the jets and the oil crushing it this season in the west and the other thing we talk about the leafs and whether sheldon keeps jobs on the line and sure enough a little this better. afternoon I, I saw this thing on a popular uh, canadian sports website on whether he's lost the room or not very interesting. But yes, let's focus out West. I love it when teams make these significant big trades well ahead of the trade deadline. Those those deals in the day or two right before the deadline, to me, it's never a good idea. They, they work out on occasion, but usually they don't. I really like the ones where they're a few weeks early. You get a chance for the, the new player to really work himself into that team, really start to gel. And it takes the pressure off that you don't have this constant build of what's going to happen. Is this GM going to strike, you know, like right in the day or two before the deadline. I really like how the Jets and the Canucks have handled this. And I think they're in great shape to make deep runs in the conference playoffs this year. Right on, man. Let's uh, let's let's transition to CFL free agency, Ted. And a big day. I know you're in Mexico. You're, you're not. Uh, privy to a sports ticker necessarily in your living room there but uh the blue bombers making some big moves break it down what are your thoughts on uh on winnipeg's moves my thoughts are that you can color me shocked I, this is not what i expected to happen for the winnipeg blue bombers so they've lost two pretty big important players they lost it, it sounds like anyway reportedly losing jamarcus hardrick who's their right tackle for the last five or six years an all-star outstanding uh, offensive lineman in the West last year. They're going to lose him to Saskatchewan. Demario Houston apparently is signed and is, is going elsewhere as well. 
But there was a lot of talk that they were not going to be able to retain Brady Oliveira, who was the most outstanding Canadian last season in the CFL, and Dalton Schoen, who was the most outstanding rookie in 2022 and was fantastic again last year, probably the most productive receiver in the CFL the last two years. And on the same day, they sign them both. They're both going to get 230000 next year. Uh, Brady's going to get an, a second year at 240000 That's a little less than he was asking for. He wanted two fifty for each year. And I, he believed he could get it from another team other than the Bombers. And apparently he was ready to, to, to walk. But it's a big signing by the Bombers because they did not want to let a hometown boy who has had a great success, is only 26 years old, is absolutely loved in the community. They didn't want to let him go. And they made sure it didn't happen. So very big day there. Certainly other things going on around the league as their free agent negotiation period is open and other big names are on the move and have been signed already and are in talks. But really, Oliveira and Schoen were the two most marquee names on the free agent list this year. And Winnipeg getting them back is really going to give them a chance to stay at the top at where they have been since 2019. Here's a pet peeve of mine, Ted, and see it having worked the desk and see news releases from teams and leagues over the years. Many do not put the contract terms in their news releases. Sometimes they do. The NHL is better at that. Most of them don't. Correct me if I'm wrong. The CFL does not, right? No. You have to dig them. You have to dig them up. So you got to get them from the agent or wherever, wherever you get them. Yeah. But they're not, they're not made available by the team. Why doesn't that change why does that happen not just the cfl but in leagues in general does it does it drive you as crazy as, as it i couldn't help but wonder if with the cfl it's because they were embarrassed by the numbers for a lot of years but they're starting to come up you know i mean let's put it this way the nfl you're gonna make you can make more on the practice roster four times as much on the practice roster as you can make um in some situations anyways as you can make playing in the cfl guys want to play football so there's one one reason and $250,000 a year is not bad money. It's not what you come to expect. You're not it's not you're not going to be paid that in the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball or the NFL. But to be paid $250,000 for one year to be a professional athlete is a pretty darn good deal. And I think it's time that the CFL starts making it mandatory that they do release all of that information each time. Anyway, Greg, so let's just continue on here. Um, why do you think that talking to athletes and people in the sports world are the best to deal with as opposed to the rest of society? You know, like if you've got any other job, if you got in, in our business, you're talking to people in so many different walks of life. And we just have this connection, it seems, with sports athletes, and we're able to build that. Why do you think it's so strong? Why do you think we're able to tell those stories with the people that we're dealing with? Well, it's the world of fun and games, right? For starters. I mean, that's the big base. That's the foundation is we're covering sports events. And in many cases, these games, these events are a nice break from the day-to-day -day life that everyone you know, the, the 22 hours a day, you've got an hour and a half or two and a half hours at the ball game. Well, that's fantastic. So I think, you know, just to be a part of that, either as a reporter or as an athlete, I think it's a great vibe to start with. You know, you're there doing something that you like. And I think the subject, whoever's talking to us, um, is, you know, more often than not happy to be there and happy to chime in. 
Now, it depends on the sport, <laughs> you know, whether whether they're actually uh, eager and, and keen to share their stories. Of course, there are so many leagues, athletes, sports where, you know, they just kind of go through the motions and talk in 12 second cliches and give non-answer answers. But I think we are lucky to cover sports like curling, for example, or the CFL. Uh, the UFC is another good example where the athletes are really outspoken and and will uh, will chime in. Um, I think it's a real pleasure to, you know, be part of that experience, to write about it, to report. Um, yeah, I but I, at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to the fact that, you know, it's it's a it's a pleasure experience. It's a two hour baseball game or a hockey game. And uh, more often than not, everyone's happy to be there. I think that really helps. It's great to be able to tell people stories. And this is obviously a peeve that you and I would both share. It's why it gets frustrating when you get high-hatted by a, a major league player, you know, where they're just sort of either not at all interested in talking to you or they're going to give you those one-word answers as we talked about with James before. Because all you're really trying to do is tell their story. You know, just and and believe me, although a lot of people don't see it that way, the media has always been that connection. And then and for years, it's a little different today. But for years, the only way that the public would get that ability to know a player or know a coach or know anyone was through the conversations we'd have with them. And it was always very much to the team's advent, uh, advantage to have us there trying to tell those stories. So it's really not, now they all hire their own people and they can do it on their own, but you're not going to get the same kind of uh, perspective from someone who works for the team as you can get from somebody who is looking at it from a complete clean sheet. So I hope that we can maintain that because I don't know that sports journalism will be the same unless we can. You know, it's interesting one a big part of our business is about building relationships. That's a huge thing. But it's also when you're covering, you know, a run-of-the-mill Bombers game or I'm coming covering a run-of-the-mill Blue Jays game, the reality is we know the two or three guys on that team who are good talkers, and we often go to them. And in Toronto, for example, the, the manager is a pretty good talker too, John Schneider. So spoiled in some way to have, you know, consistent quotes and, you know, good energy, good vibe. There have been a lot of locker rooms over the years where that's not the case. And it can be really challenging when it comes to storytelling uh, and also just that background that you need and, and being able to interact with athletes and such. I, I don't know what your experience is like in Winnipeg, but I imagine it's it's similar when you're covering a, the Bombers or the Jets room or whatever it might be. Oh, it absolutely is. But there's different levels of it. And, you know, one place where I've always really liked the access is the Olympics because they have the mix zone there, right? The, the athletes have to come through. You might not get as much time as you want, but you're sure going to have a chance to talk to them. And that is a media policy. They have to come through and you really do get an opportunity to talk to people. And when they're doing something that's so meaningful to them, they're in a highlight moment of their lives. It's something they've worked at forever just to be there in that spot, to be able to get them and get their perspectives and understand it is really one of the great things that you can do. And I, I love the day-to-day -day going to football practice and talking to guys after practice and you get to know them a bit and you, it might take three or four times of chatting with them before they start to open up. But I love that part of our business and I appreciate it. Harder with the NHL still today 
sometimes I wonder if these guys even recognize me after a few years because there's so many different faces in the room and whatnot. But I, you know, you, you do have to work at those things. I wanted to just say, we just talked about the Olympics and we got to get back to it because in 2026, the NHL is going to be there. They've announced it's going to happen. And 2030, this has been such a long time coming. Hasn't happened since 2014 in Sochi. It's been missed by the fans. It's been missed particularly by Canadian fans who love to see best on best hockey. It's been missed by the players. Connor McDavid's never played for Canada since he was a junior. That's just wrong. And how great is it? You used the word in the script, hallelujah. Bang on, buddy. This is fantastic news, I think, for uh, especially Canadian hockey fans, but hockey fans around the world. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, you used, I was going to trumpet the hallelujah, and that's exactly how I feel. It's it's great to have hockey back, the NHL players back at the Olympics. And let's be honest, the 2022 games, I mean, they were challenging, of course, in Beijing with the COVID-19 situation, uh, but the 2018 games in Pyeongchang, South Korea, those two games, there was absolutely something missing. And you could just sense it being in those cities. It just was not the same. Obviously great Olympic stories, big moments, and all the other sports and athletes, you know, that was, you know, a, obviously a big part of those games and the energy was there for that. But to not have the NHLers, I mean, that is, It'd be like the summer games without the NBA players. Like you're just, you really, you're used to it now. You want it. You want to see best on best. We finally have it. It's really hard to believe we're looking at 12 years between, you know, between games. But yeah, a 39-year-old Sidney Crosby in 2026, that'd be uh, pretty interesting. And he just, I don't know, Connor McDavid, go down the list of players that are finally going to get an Olympic moment. It's long overdue. I'm thrilled it's happening. What was your thought? Crosby, McDavid, Bedard. Enough said. How great is that going to be? Very excited. I'm sure all Canadian hockey fans, especially those who got to experience 2010 when Canada won on the Golden Goal by Sidney Crosby, the joy of that, one of the most watched hockey games ever in Canada. They want it so bad. The NHL? Give them some credit. It sucked that they didn't do it for as long as they haven't, but they've made it happen again. So let's cheers the NHL for once. Gary Bettman and his crew. No booing this time for Gary. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, and of course, you got the Four Nations uh, Cup announcement, which was um, kind of lost in the Olympic shuffle, I thought. But I'm also pleased to see the uh, World Cup kind of a, a plan in place now the World Cup of Hockey just kind of seemed lost to the last 10, 15 years. Now they've got it nailed down. So hopefully it will be Olympics full-time beyond 2030, as they mentioned, and into 34 and 38 and so on. And same with the World Cup. I think it's great for the sport. Let's shift to all-timers, Ted. And uh, do you want to start us off this week with a story from yesteryear? Well, I do. And I'll tell you what, I couldn't really think of which one I wanted to go with this week, but then one I've been holding in the bank came to mind. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to make sure we talked about the Olympics in 2014, uh, the hockey returning, because in 2014, I kind of had an interesting role as my first Olympics. And I was uh, one of the um, sort of the coordinator for Sun Media at the time, Post Media, uh, leading the team of people. But I also had a pass where I could go and cover events. So I, was, I covered a lot of curling. Canada won two gold medals. Uh, I covered some women's hockey covered various things, but I, I wasn't one of the main hockey guys. 
But it was my job to go and secure the tickets. Like you had to have a ticket to go and sit in the press tribune to cover that game, especially the gold medal game, right? I mean, that was a big deal. And so you had to go and schmooze the COC guys. And I think the guy's name was Yvonne Long. Is that right, Greg? Is that, was that the guy? It sounds familiar. His name was Yvonne. But anyway, I remember that. And so you had to go schmooze a bit and then ask around for tickets. And I needed to get tickets for our hockey writers at the time. I think it was Rob Longley and Chris Stevenson, two good buddies of mine. Steve Simmons, of course, was a columnist. We had to get him in there. And uh, so I, you know, I just sort of was like, well, you know, I think that's everybody. Is there anything, any other tickets? You know, is there maybe we could get one more? I mean, I'd love, love to go if I could. I'd like to go and check it out and write about the experience. And he was like, no, no, that's not going to happen. Sorry, you know, it's it's done. So I was fine with it. I was going home to go watch the game back at the uh, back at the ranch, you know, at the the media village and. And I was fine with it. I really was. And then I kind of, you know, had been puttering around all day. And then I was just walking down this hallway in the media center there in uh, Sochi. And I got a tap on the shoulder and Yvonne just went like this. He goes, is this what you're looking for, my friend? And I was like, <laughs> you're kidding me. And it was about 10 minutes before the game. And I just went, the beauty of uh, Sochi was that it was everything was right together you know it was all right in the same spot you didn't have to go very far to get to anything so i just booted it out there and out to the uh out to the arena and uh i it, it was row two behind the penalty box that's where i sat for the 2014 gold medal game never sat in any seat like that certainly not a press seat in my life for anything and that happened to be a gold medal game which canada won pretty special moment very cool i love it you know it's funny uh for my all-timer, I was listening to James chime in on, on the Jennifer Heil experience, 2006. And I think a lot of people may assume that, you know, we get the most joy covering the biggest events. And those are cool to cover, make no doubt about it, whether it be the Raptors winning the NBA finals or, you know, the Blue Jays in the playoffs or a great cup or whatever it is. But for me, sometimes the, the great stories come from places you least expect. And one story that stands out to me is covering 10-pin bowling at the 2011 Pan American Games in Guadalajara, Mexico. The Tapatio Bowling Alley, Ted, was about an hour from the main drag in Guadalajara. And it was just like you think it might be. We're talking a greasy, you know, greasy, no, not a, like a greasy snack bar with old school uh, menu board. We're talking vintage gumball machine by the doors. We're, you know, there was some Pan Am signage throughout the, the venue, but it was just, it was an alley and outside, an hour outside of Guadalajara. And this Canadian athlete, her name was Jennifer Park. She had her young baby with her and she was a Canadian bowler and the baby was like two or three months old. And so she bowls, she had some family members there watching her. And she had a she had a great game and she made it to the to the final in the women's singles, I believe. And in between games, the athletes would often stretch out and, and roll out. There wasn't a lot of time between games. She was as soon as she was done, boom, she went over the bleachers and she starts feeding the baby. She's like, boom, into mom mode less than 30 seconds after the game. There's no uh, there's no debrief happening. It was we got to get little Johnny fed, you know, whatever, whatever the name was. So. You know, she was doing that for a little, and then back to the alley. And this went all the way till she was in the final. And she gave it a great, great run. She uh, she won silver at those games, but was just like great quotes, 
the the color at this bowling alley was off the charts like i say you know frame pictures of local bowlers league results on the wall the whole thing uh so to me and it's also a, a major challenge filing i think i was by that greasy snack bar and trying to get a wi-fi signal and it was just you know these are the things you remember it's it's not always the stanley cup being hoisted in the air sometimes it's a 10 pin bowling silver medal with an athlete who's got a great story and is keen to share that story uh, in a venue that you certainly would not normally go to for a sporting event. So to me, that was an all-timer. 2011 Guadalajara Pan Am Games. Coming to you live from a greasy snack bar in Guadalajara, Mexico, Greg Strong, the Canadian press. Uh, you know, it's interesting, man. I am about 45 minutes from Guadalajara. Just by car, it's super close. So there's a nice tie-in as well. That's a Pacio bowling alley if you're looking for a night out during your uh, extended vacation here, Ted. So <laughs> I'm not sure I'll get there, but the, the snack bar sounds really good, and the gumballs. <laughs> well, episode six, very enjoyable. Uh, great to have James on. Really enjoyed it, and thanks for connecting, taking uh, an hour out of your, your vacation time to, to join us here, Ted. Appreciate it. I'd also like to give special thanks to intern producer Alex Antoniatis, the Toronto Metropolitan University Podcast Lab, our social media intern, Ryan McMahon. Music is by Tuesday Night Jam, our logo designed by John St. Clair. Follow The Riser on social media. Please subscribe. We will see you next time on The Riser.